If you would like to comment on our episodes, you can go to rockyourretirement.com. You can also call our comment line at 858-8-R-O-C-K-I-T, which is 858-876-2548. You may also want to subscribe to the show. This allows you to listen in your car, listen while you walk your dog, go to the gym, or do the dishes. Just go to the iPhone podcast application and search for Rock Your Retirement. If you have an Android phone, you can subscribe using Podcast Addict. Today, we are going to speak with Ed Elliott, who retired from teaching. He found out that he had a love of softball, and that's how he stays fit. But he also has a secret talent that you'll learn about in today's episode of Rock Your Retirement. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Welcome to Rock Your Retirement. This is the show where we help you have a great retirement. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about insurance. We talk about all the other things that you're going to need to know when you retire. Or if you're already retired, we can help you have a better retirement. We help you rock your retirement in areas such as social and family, entertainment and travel, volunteer work and philanthropy, matters of the spirit and soul, sex. Yes, sometimes we talk about that too. Last, we help you by talking about ways to help your parents or others who may need your help now and in the future. Baby boomers are the sandwich generation and we want to be able to help you manage that too. We want you to be passionate about your retirement. We want to help you rock your retirement. Our guest today is Ed Elliott. And Ed did not give me a bio, but I know a little bit about Ed. Ed, you used to be a school teacher, didn't you? That's right, Kathy. Yes, I was. So tell me a little bit about your work background. What did you do when you were working? Well, I, I began my career as a teacher of severely handicapped and multiple handicapped uh, children and uh, did that for about six years and became, believe it or not, a young principal. Wow. I was in the right place at the right time, uh, supervising a school for neurologically impaired kids. And uh, since then, I've been a uh, director of special education for a school district outside Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, I've been a hearing officer, a due process hearing officer in the state of Delaware. I came to California as a director of special ed programs for a large school district. Actually, it was a small district when I got there, but it grew very large in my tenure. Wow. And um, and I've also been a uh, learning disabilities teacher, a teacher of students with learning disabilities. Wow. You and I actually have something in common. Uh-oh. When I first graduated from high school in Valdez, Alaska, I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. And so there was an institution in Valdez called Harborview, Harborview something or other, and it was actually one of the last institutions that existed where mentally retarded adults live. And I started going to school for that program, and they hired me while I was still in the program. I was going to a community college, but it was part of the state. It was part of uh, University of Alaska, and I worked there for two years. Well, that is a very similar background. Uh, My first job was in a setting 
where it was the phasing out of the institutional era among our students were also day students from the regional school districts who couldn't provide to for the more severe. So um, I see what you mean. Yeah, we do have that in common. A little bit, yeah. I worked with severely disabled. I mean, the the mental capacity of out of I, I worked in the highest level, it was called Eagle Hall, and it was fourteen men. And the highest level was a about that of a two-year-old. So that, and I don't think institutions like that exist anymore. I'm not sure where they put the severely uh, mentally disabled, but that was that was our hall. And then everybody in different halls were more disabled than the people that I worked with. Now that's a, that's a challenging question because they deinstitutionalized in the 70s. And uh, we do or started see, to started to because I wasn't working in the seventies. I oh, was too right. young. <laughs> I forgot how much younger than I you are. Okay, well that was Alaska. Maybe it didn't get up there. Uh, right, it we're, they were a lot slower well, in Alaska. <laughs> and of course, we see one of the effects of this on our streets with the mentally ill. Absolutely. Once upon a time, were in sheltered environments, what we call institutions. Right. But there are pros and cons to that issue. Absolutely. Yes. So anyway, so that's great. So you did that. You were in that field for how many years? I did my 40 years. 40 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. I would never know to look at you that you were, you know, working for 40 years. Yep. And then did you grow up? So when you were five years old and most people were thinking they wanted to be a fireman or they wanted to be an astronaut, were you thinking, wow, I wanted to be a teacher or what were you thinking? I wanted to be a singing cowboy. A singing cowboy. And then one day I was on a trolley in Philadelphia where I grew up nearby Philadelphia. Anyway, I did start my life inside the city of Philadelphia. So my mother and I were in a trolley and I passed uh, a construction site where the, these guys were cementing the sidewalk. Okay. And I said, oh, mommy, uh, I want to do that when I grow up. <laughs> she said, Eddie, uh, I thought you wanted to be a cowboy. Well, I could be a cementing cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you grew up to be a teacher. Teaching so. was very far from my mind. Well, we, you know, it's funny how we go through life and what we wanted to do when we, fi- when we were five is different than when we're 15 and then when we're 25. And sometimes people reinvent themselves when they're 55. So, mm-hmm. you know, we... We always change. So you are now retired, and when did you retire? I retired in uh, 2008. 2008. Did you plan for this, or did it come on suddenly? No, I planned for it. As a matter of fact, I thought I would retire at the end of a particular school year, and um, which let's say would, been, would have been June of uh, 2007. Okay. And um, I happened to be late for a faculty meeting in which they had a representative there from uh, maybe an insurance company or maybe the state, I don't recall. But he was advising people to look carefully at the uh, retirement chart. As you may know, I know that you know this, but some folks may already know there are certain formula to retirement. So you retired from the state of California? Yes. And you were with PERS or STRS? STRS. Okay. State Teachers Retirement System. And he said something, he said, don't forget, uh, everybody, you don't have to wait till you're 62. The uh, highest factor for retirement kicks in 61 and a half. So boing, went off in my head and I thought... Why am I waiting? And I don't have... <laughs> yeah. So I waited till I was 61 and a half and that's what I did. Okay. And did you already have a plan for what you were going to do with retirement or did you just suddenly go from working 2,000 
hours a year to nothing? You went from 60 to zero in five seconds or what happened? No real plan. That's a good question. You know, I had nothing definitely planned except uh, I had a lot of loose ends you have in life when you're working, you don't get to. So I guess my plan was to get to those loose ends, one of which I'm, I've been trying to get to for the last five years. Okay. And so I finally you... got the right equipment to start doing it two days ago. So do you want to share what that loose end is? Well, uh, once again, there are many of us who have uh, boxes and boxes of photographs, boxes and boxes of videotape you know, from the old days, VHS, and then 8 millimeter, and then high 8 millimeter, and then mini DV, and if you take a lot of family movies or movies of events, what do you do with these things? And then also, uh, I inherited all my mother's photographs. So you're going to scan everything? Whatever, to reduce it down to some shoe boxes that no one will ever see anyway. But to me, I want to have uh, things condensed. I want to dispose of all these boxes so I'm not looking like uh, some kind of a pack rat. I completely understand. Les, my husband, scanned our pictures a long time ago. And there are actually companies, by the way, that charge thousands of dollars to do what you are about to do. So good luck with that. Thank you. That's not why you're on the show, though. You're on the show because... I know you're rocking your retirement because I see you doing things that I don't see other retirees doing, one of which is um, you you have an activity that you do every week, but there's probably some other things that you're doing to rock your retirement. So how, how would you say that you're currently rocking your retirement? Well, uh, what you're referring to, Kathy, is the, our senior softball here in North County, San Diego. And um, I always thought when I was younger, wouldn't it be nice if I were healthy enough to play baseball? I saw some video of some middle-aged guy with all these white-haired characters down in Florida <laughs> going onto a, foot, a baseball field. So lo and behold, by reading a little sidebar in the newspaper, I saw there was a league in this area. And I went there um, one Monday when they have kind of a pickup game to make sure the guys playing were not all former Baseball leaguers. players. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I don't. I want yeah. to make sure I'm in the right league. Exactly right. <laughs> so I thought, well, I, maybe I could survive here. So then I, I took a friend of mine, whom you know very well, and he and I went to a batting cage to make sure after 50 years I could still hit a ball, and I could, and so could he. So with that little bit of courage, I uh, bought a glove and joined this league. And I just found out the other day that the average age of the players is 71. Okay. And we have most of our players, you know, range probably from 65 to 75. What's the minimum age? 55. Okay. 55 and up. And we do have some kids at 55 and 56. And those guys are, <laughs> they're really rocking their retirement. They rock that ball over the fence and <laughs> throw the ball like a laser beam. Are they retired or are they still working? Uh, there's a few that come out once a week only because they have a business or something. Okay. Uh, but they're free enough to, to do that. But the average age is 71. Average age is 71. We have players that are 90. God wow. bless them. You know, they're lucky to have all the health. They've always had the wiring, and they're still able to get out there. Well, maybe they have the health because they're doing the baseball. Could be a cause and effect. Uh, one of the benefits of joining an activity such as a senior softball league is, is the camaraderie that one experiences, meeting new people which you can do anywhere. You can do it in church group or uh, meetup group or museum followers or whatever. 
but in this case, it's uh, men and women. By the way, our league has women. Oh, it does. Yeah, and uh, they're not the weakest players by any means. But anyway, you get to meet new people, and that leads to other things. In my case, uh, coming new to San Diego five or six years ago, there are things I hadn't experienced, and maybe someone in the league says, hey, Ed, we're going here, some such and such an activity, or maybe a theater thing, or uh, maybe a basketball game at the state college or something. And so it broadens you a little bit. Another aspect to this activity and to many others, but I know I've heard this from other from my teammates. Ed, what would I do without senior softball? I mean, every I know on Tuesday where I'm going to be. I know th it's Tuesday and Thursdays. Okay, twice okay, a week. From like That's nine great. to one, and so it gives you a concrete point in your week. Maybe for some it's church, and maybe the Bible study in the middle of the week. But for a lot of the guys I play with, it's Tuesday. And Thursday. Tuesday and Thursday, they know where they're going to be. It routinizes their existence. They know that and that's it's kind of like trash night here in the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> we know yeah. on Thursdays that's it's right. trash. Getting so, those cans out on Wednesday night. That's right. Wednesday night. Wake up your neighbors at 11, uh, 11 p.m. and get those, tra those trash cans out. Well, I think that's great. So that, um, and so you just found out about that through reading the paper. Yeah. But it was already... It was already something that you had considered. Something I was looking for. I was looking for an activity like that, and there it was. Um, another thing that I wouldn't say rocks my retirement, but maybe rules my retirement, is, uh, and it's a, it's a positive thing, one has time to, to do for others that might be busier because they're still working. So maybe uh, you become an occasional babysitter for uh, a daughter's kids or a son's kids, and uh, maybe you... Uh, walk the dog for your working wife who may still be working part-time. I have seen you walking the dog occasionally. Yeah. And that's that's what that, that's what, what that comes from. Is, it's a very cute dog too, by the way. Yeah, he's, he's a good-looking little guy. Wait a minute, I've seen two dogs at your house, So, and the other dog is? Well, sometimes the two dogs you see are the brother and sister because... No, 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 a, a different dog. I know who you mean. That's um, the granddaughter's dog. The granddaughter's dog. So other people that are still working. Yes, and that's another thing. Yeah, she's working out of state sometimes, so she stops down here, spends a few days, and then leaves her little dog with us as she goes and does her work for a company for whom she works. That's, that's fantastic. That would be nice, especially if you had family, you know, to be able to do things for the family. Do you get asked a lot to do a lot of different things? My wife more so than I, because the larger group is uh, her family. So she gets asked to do things, but she's still working part-time. Yes. She retired from uh, public school service as a principal and had been a teacher and had been a clerk, so forth, and went to school and graduated from college when she was 41. That's like me. I think I was uh, 2005, whatever year that, however old I was back then. I, the funny thing is I was a financial advisor and I can't do math in my head, so. Oh, well, <laughs> all you clients out there did not hear that. <laughs> anyway, she uh, retired, but she's one who always likes to work, so she did something that I... I encouraged her to do this because she has a lot to offer. I always said to her, you need to be teaching other, teaching teachers, encouraging them, sharing your expertise with them. And that's what she does uh, with her teacher candidates. That's and so anyway, she's working, uh, I don't know how many hours I could say a week, but 
uh, every day she's somewhere during the work week. And does she work because she loves it or does the money help pay the bills? Really it's a personality thing. Her friends say, why, why are you still working? And she just feels as that's part of her nature to work. The earnings help her contribute to the tuition of a grandson who's in graduate school. So there's a couple of motivations there. So it's not you need to work to buy food for the no, table. No, it's a choice. It's a choice. And that's that's really nice. And, and that is a choice that a lot of retired people make, you know, and they're working not necessarily for the money, although, of course, money's nice, but because it gives them something to do, kind of like your Tuesday and Thursday baseball games. Yeah. My, my own husband, it's hard for him to not work, <laughs> even though he's supposedly retired. I think he's probably upstairs working right now. Um, so let's see here. So we've talked a little bit about your baseball. Anything else that you want to bring up that you're doing? Any any other type of volunteer work? Or have you gone traveling anywhere or done anything exciting? Thanks for asking that question because before I moved to San Diego, I was training as something called an ombudsman. And that's a generic term. But in this particular case, it meant you would be an ombudsman or an advocate for those who reside in uh, uh, senior living, especially if they're ill or not uh, independent. And um, when I came to San Diego, I couldn't participate in the training, frankly, because of softball. It was a conflict. <laughs> it was conflicting <laughs> with what you yeah. wanted to do. But that's something that I intend to get involved with again. But my point is that uh, that would have been, uh, I would think it would be a rewarding way to volunteer trained by the county, uh, social work folks and uh, law enforcement and so forth. And you uh, visit a certain number of retirement centers, whatever uh, they may be called. And if you notice that someone maybe is troubled, then after, uh, after you visit there for a while, they may have some trust in you. They may tell, you, they may tell an ombudsman that they don't like taking a shower at five in the morning, whereas they might not tell the workers or the administrator. Then the ombudsman would not directly tell anyone there, but they would report back to the social service agency that sponsors the ombudsman program. I love that. There are over 700 living facilities in the county of San Diego. Really? There are lots and lots. So people like you, I, I hope that you finish your training. That would be just something fantastic. Yeah, I would, I would like to uh, do that. Another thing that I started to get involved with again just the other day was helping some students who have reading difficulties. I was reading the paper. The other day in the paper, I read an article about a young bike rider or a skier or something. I forget exactly what he does. But within the article, it said when he was a younger guy, like five or six, when he would try to read, he saw the words swimming on the page. Wow. And right away, that got my attention because because I am trained in a particular remediation technology for a small percentage of people who have difficulty with the printed page. So that's not dyslexia, that's something else. It's, it's under the umbrella of dyslexia, but this particular thing is called Erlen syndrome, I-R-L-E-N, named for a lady named Helen Erlen, 
from Long Beach. I've never heard of it. And um, she ran a reading clinic at Long Beach State or somewhere in the area at night for adults learning to read. One night she noticed in her class there was a lady who had her, her page of her book or her whatever it was covered with a uh, transparent colored sheet, the kind you see in a stationery store for uh, the covers of theme games or whatever they call them. So right away, she she asked her graduate students to go to the theater department and get all these theater gels, which once again are sheets, different colored sheets that you see in spotlights. Okay. Oh, to cover up the to, to yeah, make this kind a of different color. A light bulb went off that maybe okay. there's something here. So to make a long story short, it turns out that a small percentage of people who struggle with reading that might get headaches from trying to read, or they see words moving on the page, or uh, other phenomena that really sound weird when you hear it, like this little boy said words were swimming after other avenues have been addressed you know, optometry uh, any other health conditions and you know that the eyes work properly and so forth an individual child or adult can be screened and in some cases and when they happen it's miraculous looking at a page through a different color it could be green or gold or aqua makes it easier to read wow that is amazing yeah. So you're going to be... So what I did, I emailed the reporter who wrote the article. And told him. Told her I had personal experience oh, yeah. with this type of thing and that I would like to have his parents, the young boy's parents, made aware of this. And if they have any questions to call me because I could probably refer them to someone who's still active with this kind of screening. Did they call you? Not yet. This was just two days ago. Oh, I, I hope they do. But I I'd like to share my story, a story with you about this. Yeah. Okay. Um, one night I was giving a lecture at University of California, Riverside, as a guest lecturer. And afterwards, a teacher came up, up to me and said, uh, I was talking about these overlays, you know, colored overlays and the Erlen syndrome. And he said, boy, would this help one of my students who doesn't, um, his writing is terrible. He's really a smart kid, but his writing is terrible. I didn't really know. And I told him that I didn't know. But I asked him to ask the parents to call me. So this was a sixth grade boy who had just won the science fair at his elementary school. Right so smart kid. Parents called me up and I said, oh, thank you. And may I talk to the young boy? So he came to the phone and I said, tell me what, what happens when you read. So oh, I, I, I like to read. And after about 10 minutes, the ends of the words start to curl up. Now, just as this other guy in the newspaper said, words start swimming. Right. And this, uh, this, this little boy said to me that ends of words curl up. When you hear these weird things. Weird. Yeah, they're weird, but it might be a red flag. Right. Uh, that can be helped by this particular technology, which is very simple. Just altering the spectrum that, of light the that's reflected spectrum. off the page. Right. Yeah. So uh, anyway, make a long story short, he came to my house. I screened him and uh, he picked a particular color of a plastic overlay that for him, made the words stop curling up after 10 minutes. <laughs> that is so cool that so, you did that. I had no idea you did this yeah. kind of thing. And it's very exciting because when it works, it's a cure. So yeah. anyway, he's he's reading. I gave him something like Tom Sawyer. And let him read for a few minutes. After a few moments, he started to stumble. Reread in the same sentence or jump up to the line ahead. He was getting kind of drowning on the page, if you will. And then because we had already selected a particular color in the screening process, I slipped that color over the page. And boom, 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 boom. Fluent reading. Oh, my gosh. It gives you chills. So it still gives me chills. That's that my... is, that is, yeah. that just makes you want to cry. It's my first time doing it. And when was that? This was in 1992. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I bet the parents were. Well, listen to this. So that the parents were in my kitchen. Oh, the... oh, they were there at the time. They were there. This was a, not, not where I worked. This was outside of work. So the little guy is sitting next to me, and the dad's across the kitchen table 
and he had watched me go through these procedures, which I'm not going to detail right now. And the boy, we finally figured out the boy saw the page most clearly, and the things stopped happening on the page when he had a color. I'll say it was green. Well, Dad's across the kitchen table, and it's all over with, and he says, you know, I would have picked goldenrod. <laughs> so, whoa. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> so I said, Dad, come over here. So we... We monkeyed around with uh, some of these uh, procedures, uh, visual, it's all visual stuff. And um, Dad's story was, he was a rep for Sears. And his job for Sears was to travel the country and make sure that the displays in every Sears were uniform, the way they wanted the displays to look from store to store to store. But in the, in the time in which he would spend flying from California across the country, he might read 12 pages of a book. Oh. He didn't think this was strange. And he had some similar condition. So I called a month later to follow up. How's the boy doing? Oh, he's doing great in school. And as a matter of fact, we went to Long Beach, and now he has tinted lenses he wears. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that continue to help him with the problem. And well, what's Dad doing? Oh, well, Dad's taking that golden ride overlay <laughs> on, all <of> his, <laughs> on all of his business trips and sticks them in the book as a bookmark. Oh, my gosh. And so it, you helped... Two people, and you're still helping. That was kind of sort of part of your job, but not really. Well, not to belabor this point of my career too much, but when you're in special education, you help a lot. You're a helper. But you really never fix, because most of these problems that people have are organic problems. So when you can fix something, this, you this celebrate. This is the one, one thing that <laughs> you can see immediate change and very exciting. I can completely relate because the people that I worked with never got fixed. <laughs> you know, they, they just know. were not fixable. But I did train one of them to do my job for me. So one of the, and this is off topic, it might be edited out. But um, so there was this one particular resident who lived in the in the facility and he was autistic very heavily. And if you had a string hanging from your shirt, he would he would want to kill you if, if you would not cut that string off. And he, I know some of those. Types, yeah. Right. And he was very, very, let's just say, I call, I say anal about everything, but nonverbal. One of my jobs, I worked nights and one of my jobs was I had to put all the clothes away. And if I, and, and the clothes we bought from the Sears catalog. Oh. And so they, they were exactly the same clothes. And if I put, let's say Brad's shirt in, and, oh, and by the way, this gentleman followed me around at night to watch me put the clothes away. And so if I put, let's say Brad's shirt in Johnny's uh, drawer, yeah. uh, the, the gentleman would want to choke me. He, he was like, try to tell me non-verbally that the shirt was wrong. And I'm like, how do you even know? These shirts are exactly the same. And so I just trained him to do, and I just let him put all the clothes away and he was thrilled. And so these days they would call that writing a program. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. And I would have gotten a raise for it, but I did it because I just was too lazy and I didn't want to be choked. Well, that when was I his put... strength and you were able to channel his strength into exactly. some function. So Pretty anyway, cool. if, if we go over that story, we'll be edited out, but it was, it was fun to tell you that. So, um, so name, what is one, one thing that you have been able to do that you would not be able to do if you were still working? Well, if I were still working, I wouldn't have the uh, general freedom to have a longer day if you want a longer day. 
you want to stay up late. Right? You're not worried about your responsibilities on the next work morning of being a little cloudy or foggy. <laughs> and uh, you get to enjoy, you know, myself. Uh, my lifestyle is probably more sedentary than I would like to admit, but I do enjoy watching uh, uh, television and, and movies and such. If I'm engrossed in something, I want to watch another episode, especially now where you can binge watch things. I know. Yeah, we binge watch everything. We Everything that we watch is recorded. We don't watch anything live. So um, we're going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. What do you wish you would have known before you retired? If there was one thing you wish you would have known before you retired, what would that be? Well, I wish I would have known that some of the assumptions upon which my very good retirement program were based actually were not accurate. And the particular one is this, that, oh, put this money away. It's tax sheltered for, I'll say, 40 years, just to use that number, for 40 years. And then when you retire, you're going to be in a much lower tax bracket. <laughs> okay. And it turns out you're in a higher tax bracket. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess my regret is, excuse me, if I could have foreseen that, I would have done more investing in after with after tax dollars or Roth nowadays or the Roth concept maybe which we didn't have back then yeah uh, that's that's one thing I would have done differently had I had a crystal ball what if you what if we weren't talking about money at all was there anything that you wish you would have known before you retired that has nothing to do with money I don't really have any regrets uh, in that sense I would like to comment on a regret that I think happens with my peer group okay and believe it or not it's relative to Facebook. I have friends. I have a brother who's back east. I have some friends back east. And yes, they have probably some wise reservations about too much information being out there on the internet. But to me, it's so enriching to be able to go onto the internet and say, oh, my, here are my friends. They're in the Galapagos Islands. Look what they're doing today. Right. Or to my brother who's shoveling snow uh, he could send me a picture of him shoveling snow, and I could just feel so much better for living in San Diego. Right. And looking up acquaintances or friends that you haven't talked to for decades. And this has happened to me just in the last year. I talked to guys I used to hang out with in high school 50 years ago. Wow. It's, it's As many people say, it's like I talked to them last week, but all these stories come back. And then I find out that one guy, uh, his son is this famous football coach that I had no idea was his, his dad was my old buddy. So I guess my regret currently is that more of my generation, the baby boomers, shy away from some of this technology that could enrich their lives, connect with others. So that's a, to use the word regret somewhere, that's where I would use it. Well, I completely agree. I love connecting with people on Facebook. What I don't love about it is all of the things that are posted that have nothing to do with people's current lives. You know, the sharing of the picture. Propaganda. The Right. Too the, many cats. Exactly. They're I, funny. Right. <laughs> I love the funny videos, but, you know, I'm, I only go on Facebook once a day. And I do a lot of scanning. And I'm looking for things personal about somebody's life. I don't care about your picture of something that somebody else wrote that you're sharing, you know, the, the motivational things. I, yes, those quotes. Right. I don't care about the quotes. I want to know what you're doing. So I agree with you, Ed. I, I love Facebook. I love the way it, it helps people connect. 
And there's been marriages from Facebook, I've heard, and also, unfortunately, divorces from Facebook. Okay, last question. We have a lot of listeners who are new retirees who might feel stuck in their lives at the moment. If you were sitting across from one of those retirees right now, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to have a successful retirement? Someone who's already retired? Or about to retire. About to retire? Well, just to be broad-minded. Don't be afraid to challenge yourself. Don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. Seek uh, seek opportunities. I guess back to that little story about the softball league. It was looking at the sidebars in the newspaper and look for things to do, look for uh, activities. Don't, don't do what some of us do. Uh, just be a couch potato on a, an isolate. I think that's a great answer. Yeah, I love that answer because... My my actual work life, I see people that are couch potatoes, and I see what it does to their health. So I love that answer, and I love the fact that you were able to find something that you love and that you're passionate about because you were seeking it out. So thank you so much, Ed, for being on the show today. Thanks for asking me, Kathy. And we will see you next time. Hope your ratings don't decline. After this. <laughs> they won't. <laughs> We'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. Planning for retirement? What about mom and dad? They need to decide where to spend their senior years. They want to stay right where they are, safe at home. 101 Mobility is here to help so your parents can live comfortably, safely, and independently at home, which means you stay worry-free and relaxed in retirement. Does dad have difficulty on the stairs? 101 Mobility can provide a stair lift or ramp solution. Is mom uneasy in the bathroom? Let 101 Mobility give her confidence and security with our bath safety solutions. Whatever the mobility challenge, 101 Mobility of San Diego is here for you. 101 Mobility is a licensed contractor and a leading provider of mobility and accessibility solutions in San Diego. Call 101 Mobility today at 858-800-2820 and schedule a free in-home consultation and home safety assessment. That's 101 Mobility of San Diego at 858-800-2820. Enjoy life, not limits.